Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Good morning. This is Jay Levine, your host of Antitrust Law Source Podcasts, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my partner, Brett Thornton. How you doing, Brett? Good. Thanks, Jay. Happy to be here. Uh, great. Uh, Brett is the chair of our startup and emerging uh, business practice, as well as the chair of our energy group. Yes, absolutely. Uh, energy. Uh, uh, and um, we're actually going to be talking about uh, the former today in terms of deal work and uh, especially how things may have been affected this year and, and sort of um, going forward. But le- let me start out by just saying everybody's well yeah, absolutely. It's still been a, a very busy year uh, into the first quarter when things really slowed down, when COVID um, started, things really picked up and it's been a very robust, busy year in the M&A space for us. And, and I think, that, you know, I can only speak for us, but I think very generally as well from what I've heard. Let's get right to it then. So you're you're in Columbus and that's a pretty good hub of startup and emerging business activity. You know, other than when obviously everybody was sort of shocked at what was going on with the pandemic and not much was going on, um, you said it's been it's been busy. Have you noticed any differences in the deal work in terms of the types of deals that are going forward, or the types of investments, or the types of exits? You know, we we haven't seen a difference in the type of work, and you know, Columbus does have a great emerging business ecosystem. And we have a lot of universities and institutions, large hospital systems, um, engineering and consulting firms, military installations that throw off a lot of tech commercialization projects. And so because of where we are and because of the type of projects that tend to co-locate here with, uh, you know, entities and persons developing intellectual property, we tend to see a lot of tech oriented um, Mm -hmm. things. And we see Tech, both generally and because there's a lot of healthcare, yep. insurance, healthcare space type of things, we tend to see a lot of um, you know healthcare, biotech sort of projects, and we've seen and continue to to generally see that type of work. So the type of work hasn't changed substantially. We, we've seen some growing focus on pandemic healthcare related type projects, but more still really in in the discussion phase and then the rollout um, organizational proof of project. I won't say proof of concept. A lot of the stuff, the concept is pretty clear. It's proof of um, commercial viability stage. We haven't seen a change in the type of project. Uh, We've seen a change in the rhythm in in this area of work. Um, It was disrupted substantially back in March and in April. And I think a lot of projects went uh, on, on, I guess, is it hi- hiatus? Hiatus is the right way to put it, or took a pause. Yeah, took a pause while everyone was determining what was going to happen with COVID and what consequence it would have for uh, the capital markets and the and the ability to access capital, both from private individuals and from state and other government type sources to fund these projects. And and what we saw is that that pause ended pretty quickly because I think it became clear that this type of work was still going to go forward. Uh, the other places may have seen a pivot to different types of projects. We didn't. We saw our type of project come back. Um, and I think what we've noticed is maybe less volume and a little bit okay. longer lead times on getting things done than we saw before all the pandemic-related stuff came up. That makes sense. We're just maybe not quite as efficient as we were before. 
I mean, you mentioned, I, I'm curious about one thing. So in terms of access to capital, obviously startups and emerging businesses, one of the one of the things they need is cash they, to, to fund their projects to go forward. Uh, let me ask you from the two sectors, the private sector and then the, you know, sort of the government sector, um, is there cash to be had for these types of businesses in the private sector? And is there cash to be had and investments to, you know, to be had from the uh, from the government side? Yeah, I think there's a lot of cash to be had on both sides. You know, the government side, uh, we have yet to see a change in the um, funding proposals. The the uh, government, state-assisted, large state-affiliated, institution-assisted um, buckets of capital appear to still be available, and we expect them to, if maybe not grow, remain available even where there are cuts in other areas of government spending. And so it it might get wound back a little bit. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, And so that'll still be there. It it might be constrained. Uh, I I don't think we know for sure. We haven't heard a lot about it. It's not going to go away. It might be, it might, it may probably won't grow, but I think the state funding will still be there because this is important stuff for state economic growth and employment initiatives. We we, think it's obvious and it may not be across the country that they have the same type of focus on this. But in Ohio and in Columbus, this has been a uh, substantial focus for growth is tech development, commercialization, and growing jobs around these types of efforts. Mm -hmm. So I expect this will see it on the state side. Large institutions are still pretty flush. A lot of the work that we do is associated with funds that are established by large insurance companies, by large hospital systems, by other types of um, entities that have a specific focus on different types of technology that are complementary to or beneficial in their, you know, segment of of the you know, corporate landscape. Mm-hmm. And so, those companies all seem to be doing fine. I, I think you're still going to see those pools of capital available. So, you know, if I, I look at it, there's really three that I think of, and that's state funding, the large institutional, large corporate focused funding. And then there's the private capital. And I don't see any diminishment in the enthusiasm for private capital with respect to these types of financing efforts, because I think there's a lot of money um, that persons are paid to manage or that, um, you know, wealthy individuals, families have that needs to get deployed. And there's not an enthusiasm for, you know, dumping it all into index stocks, particularly, (laughs) even though the market's done well, you know, there's, uh, you know, the there's always a um, effort to try to diversify portfolios. And so we we still see a lot of private money flowing even into emerging stage um, business deals. And when I say that, it's emerging stage. We don't have a true, true startup startup practice where, you know, companies come to us off the street and right. I have an idea where well, you guys represent me. We tend to be referred in and be connected with entrepreneurs and companies when they're already fairly far down the road um, to the point where they've established the commercial viability. They're talking to financing sources. And a lot of time it's the financing sources, even when we end up representing the company that say, hey, you need to go and get competent counsel that knows how to do this type of deal in advance of us being able to fund you. So I I think, you know, there's still enthusiasm for investing in that type of company that's vetted, that's got some other, you know, incubator, accelerator, think tank enthusiasm and and, um, opportunities already. When private individuals, when private money can come in and be part of the capital stack for that kind of deal, I still think that's still, we see that in every deal still right now. 
Interesting. Yeah, I from what I've heard from just friends and 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 business acquaintances and the like, I mean, private equity and venture capital, I mean, they're still closing they're still, you know, opening and getting funds, you know, fully stocked um and still looking for the deal. So it it does look like there is cash out there to access um either via the fund or via sort of the private, you know, family type um foundation institutions. Yep, agreed. Now you had said that you you normally see tech, biotech, healthcare related stuff, and and that now the concepts may be a little bit more pandemic related. Have um, have you seen any sort of emerge into sort of the you know getting out of the batter's box? Um, because I I I just curious as to, I mean it's it's a it's a guess as to how long the pandemic will last and how long your solution is going to be required, right? Yeah, I think there is a risk associated with doing anything that's specifically related to the pandemic when we have no idea how long this is going to continue. And I say that without, you know, taking a position and or speculating, I guess is the better way to put it with respect to what that looks like, because I don't think anybody knows. And so I I actually haven't seen anything get out of the batter's box. And I'm we are we're one firm um, in in the region that works on these projects and they're you know if you had someone else on from another firm that may be all they're doing and they might have several projects already in in the funding stages we don't I, i've heard about a bunch of them interesting stuff the sort of stuff that you would expect to hear sort of next generation technology on ppe or ventilators or or even you know, drug development uh efforts or drug refinement efforts and we just you know we, we hear about them and say that's interesting obviously like i do with, when anybody brings any of these we say of course we'd be mm-hmm. happy to help let us know what we can do but i haven't had anyone actually come back because they're lined up and in the financing queue honestly right. it, it has not happened doesn't mean it won't but right been more uh more more uh chatter more sort of noise um and, and not a lot of actual substantive projects coming out of those discussions yet Okay. I, I want to turn now uh, to a slightly different question. Obviously, um, we're coming up to um, the elections, and it, there's always, I guess, in the M&A world, the adage that you're, you know, firms want to close their deals by December 31st prior to a new inauguration just because of, you know, certainty and the like. Do you expect to see deal work pick up even more in the in the coming months in anticipation of of that or do you think somehow this year is going to be different no i think it will pick up um you know and without making any statement as to <laughs> as because i'm not a tax guy and i you know i follow along and we have great tax lawyers here i think there may be some impetus to get things done before the end of the year we have a lot of deals going on right now as i said it's been very very active um i think that everyone um, you know, with, with whom we're working on a deal right now, wants to get it closed by the end of the year. So there's already a backlog, right. and I, I I do expect to see the real late rush. I mean, in in any year, you know, you get the calls on December fifteenth with the extremely large, complicated deal that has to get done by the end of the year, right? And right, you know, we always dutifully say, well, of course, we'll do everything we can to uh, accommodate your timing, um, right? Needs, uh, you know, whether or not. They were to hold my feet to the fire and say, is there any way it's in, in, in any conceivable way it's possible? Um, you know what my answer might be. Um, but I, I do think we'll see that come. I just don't think it's here yet. I think um, 
we're a couple of weeks out from that. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. There, there might be, um, and the reason I think we're a couple of weeks out from it is there might be people that are looking to see what happens with the election. And when that's decided, there that might be the motivator to say, okay, well, we've wanted to do this and now we've got to get it done. So I hope if that's the case, that people come and talk to me, you know, the Wednesday after the election and not December 15th, because that certainly would <laughs> give us a better chance of getting it done and making everyone's life, uh, you know, a little, little less stressful at the end of the year. But we'll, of course, work, you know, on whatever timeline our, our clients in this store. We're open 24-7, but for, yeah. your, for your sanity, I do hope they come a little earlier. <laughs> um, right. Curious, you know, obviously, uh, you're in Columbus, I'm in D.C., and, um, you know, we all hear about whether there's going to be another COVID relief package or not. Does that at all affect, you know, sort of the the deal work or the flow, um, do you see, or is that really just more uh, at the, uh, you know, personal family level? Yeah, I don't see that as having a consequence for deal work that I do. I don't expect to be the reason that anyone does or doesn't move forward. Now, maybe it'll have the consequence of saving some companies that might mm-hmm. otherwise go under, and then there'll be more companies available and in the potential transaction space. And so that could have some down the road future potential consequences. But I, that's, I, I you know, and I, there's so much uncertainty around that too. Right. It could. I mean, again, and I'm, I'm an M&A lawyer and I, I, keep my you know ears open and try to learn as much as I can about the broader markets and sort of the macro things that that drive them but I'm more of a I'm, I'm more of a technician um, and so when the deals come we'll, we'll get them done and what exactly drives the markets that creates the opportunities for me I have some sense of it but um you know that's I'll find you a better guest if you want to have a, a podcast on that topic. Uh, you're far too modest. No, that 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 makes sense. So we've sort of chatted about this a little bit in the in the past. The House um, Subcommittee on Antitrust, you know, recently uh, laid a 400 and I don't even know what it is 75 490 page report after doing a of you know uh, an investigation into market concentration and and the like and they have a number of proposals of of sort of changing the antitrust laws and and I want to run a couple of them by you to get your perspective as a deal lawyer now I assume a lot of these especially emerging companies and the like a lot of the exit strategy is to be bought by either a PE fund or by by one of the bigger sharks or whales, whichever term you want to use in the industry, um, who sort of want to buy them out because they find that their business is, is a good complement or, frankly, is even a potential rival to them, right? I mean, that's what motivates a lot of these startups and emerging companies. Yeah, and, and we still see certainly that that's something that an entrepreneur that's starting a company like this, particularly as a commercialization effort out of an institution or or with any type of technology, depending on what it is, you know, they're they're doing it and most of the time they're not doing it with the expectation that they're going to grow and run ten years from now Fortune five hundred company of their own. There's an mm-hmm. exit strategy that's usually a five year type of exit strategy that contemplates having um, several outlets, private equity, but certainly strategic buyers, and that can include and often does with the companies that we see large, um, you know, major corporate strategic buyers that want to buy it and roll it into um, operations because it's ancillary. I know what you're getting to potentially competitive um, mm-hmm. and it, it could be an enhancement. 
I obviously don't want to see um, too much additional regulation that would frustrate <laughs> that um, for you know very self-interested reasons. But um, you know, also I think that you could have consequences associated with imposing regulation that frustrates those types of transactions that would have exactly the opposite effect of of what the you know persons drafting the regulation intend to do. I mean, first it right. could. If it makes it too hard to find an exit, to my point, you you aren't a lot of times finding people that have the ability to run and grow these things into their own self-sustaining large entities. And so if you can't do that, that's going to make persons less interested. And you might have a bunch of tech sitting within these large institutions, these large health systems, et cetera, that they would otherwise be able to find a serial entrepreneur to take out into the market with the expectation of a, a fairly reasonable time frame in which they can expect to have a monetary reward for their efforts and they're not going to do it. And so you're going right. to have less innovation. And then what replaces that? Well, I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is maybe what replaces that is it seems to me that a lot of these major strategic buyers have looked at um, these entrepreneurs, the private uh, emerging business venture capital financing for these and sort of just outsourced innovation. Right. And so they've just let people grow and run these not picked winners internally and seen what worked and then snatched up the good ones. Right. What you might see then is if that the regulation frustrates um, that um, process, then you might see a reinvigoration of internal R&D and and growth um, within these large organizations. And then you're going to end up in the same place with less opportunity to create competitors in the market. So that's an, uh, well, let me, let me be a little bit more uh, specific. One of the proposals actually was that if you, there's a two part um, first that if you have a 30% market share, you actually have to, instead of the government having to prove that the acquisition would be problematic, you would actually have to affirmatively justify the acquisition and prove that it won't be problematic. And you know, so that's, you know, a 30% market share is is not dominance, but um, mm -hmm. it's not nothing. But then also, if you ha if you achieve that, then you're going to go through a, a lot of, um, uh, you know, expense, time, effort, and money to try to convince the antitrust regulators of essentially a negative that acquiring this new nascent company is not going to thwart what would otherwise have been potential or actual competition. Now, if those kinds of, you know, frameworks are adopted by the next administration, Republican or, or Democratic, it would seem to me that that would very much sort of uh, reorient a lot of, you know, private investors and, and reorient the, the uh, incentives for all of these entrepreneurs. Yeah, well, absolutely. You're not going to have, I mean, even when you have investors come into companies like this, private equity and larger venture capital, what they're putting money into is the hope that, again, that there will then be further financing events and exits, right? And so what you just described, right, because it sounds good on its face, but you and I, as lawyers, you particularly know that if you put something in place that says that if they're you have a thirty percent market share, then then you have to prove that it, it becomes a scenario not where you you the government would have to prove it's problematic or you have to prove it's not. So that's just going to um, 
further narrow the field of potential acquirers for any company like this because i think the the flaw is assuming that the only acquirers out in the space are google and amazon no i mean there's all sorts of other companies at different tiers and with different levels of resources that are also out in this space and looking to acquire emerging businesses if you make this so hard and what you just described there jay all that's going to do is elongate the process of effecting an acquisition and make it much more expensive from a legal standpoint and create the specter of potential penalties and liabilities that certain companies are just fine with and have all the resources in the world to deal with. And other companies are now going to look at and say, we don't know if we can continue to participate here anymore. Right. And so. Right. Right. And, and it seems to me it would also perhaps dampen sort of, uh, you know, acting lawyerish ab initio at the very beginning, the types of ideas that get, you know, put into place because you sort of have to think about, okay, five to 10 years down the road, who am I selling to? Who am I going to have a problem with? And that may very well be, you know, affect the type of technology I want to develop. Right. And do you want a robust market, right? I mean, you're going to, if you make it hard, and if the consequence of this is there are less exits and there's less deals and there's going to be less money going into these deals and there's going to be less companies getting funded and there's going to be less innovation. And I don't think we're going to end up where the person's drafting the legislation, unless they're very careful, want us to end up. Right. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's true for everything, but uh, I mean, it does sound like there's a lot of unintended consequences to anything like this, but it is certainly on the, um, uh, on the horizon. It's, it's up for discussion, no matter who uh, gains the White House um, come next week, uh, as well as, you know, changes just even to the Hart Scott rules of where one now has to file more for uh, minority investments. Um, there used to be used to be easier and more exemptions to the Hart Scott rules of minority investments. Now there are, are fewer, and I think there is an outlook by the regulators that they want to have the ability to look at these deals with more scrutiny and possibly block a lot of these deals, even minority investors. And I assume. That's again something that could, you know, affect deal work from your perspective. Anything that makes deals less attractive because it's going to be harder to exit and create cash events for investors is going to it's not going to make deal work harder necessarily for me. If you're on the antitrust side, for you, Jay, I'm saying there's gonna be more <laughs> complexity and more more yeah. risk and more to deal with. For me, unfortunately, it'll probably just you know, you create a scenario when there's fewer deals, which right. it's, it's it's harder to it'll be harder to find deals. It'll be harder to stay busy. The deals won't be harder. It'll just be unfortunately a less robust market, which I certainly don't want to see that. But you know, that's well, obviously, from, from where I'm sitting, that's the answer anyone would expect me to give. And I, I obviously understand that there's um, different sides of this, but you know, uh, you know, we we like to see in our part of this um, discussion. You know, uh, finely tuned and focused regulation um, that is formulated and in, in intentionally in a way where it's meant to cause as little disruption as possible to an open and free deal market. Right, right. No, and listen, open and free deal markets, one would hope, uh, translate to an open and free, you know, operating markets as well. So um, I think we're 
saying the same thing here, and I guess we'll we'll have to see. But this has been a uh, an interesting discussion, and um, maybe uh, post election we'll uh, we'll see what happens and uh, see how well we did um, in terms of uh, figuring out what the uh, potential effects are. But for now, yeah. I think uh, we've pretty much run out of time. I hope uh, you and your family continue to stay well and that you continue to be busy and that uh, there aren't too many uh, December fifteenth calls and that you get to. Uh, uh, enjoy the holidays um, in a in a somewhat restful fashion. Oh, that's fine. Though. I'm a deal turner. Please still call me on December 15th. I'll still take the call. Well, yeah, I, yes, you will. Yes, you will. Well, uh, this is Jay Levine. Um, you can reach me at uh, jlevine at porterite.com. I am on Twitter and LinkedIn. And Brett, how can folks uh, reach you? It's uh, B Thornton, B-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N at Porterite, P-O-R-T-E-R-W-R-I-G-H-T.com as well. Okay. Well, uh, everybody out there, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned for our uh, next podcast. Porterite Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose, and you should not consider it as such. It does not necessarily reflect the views of the firm as to any particular matter or those of its clients. All rights reserved.